High quality dividend growers often compound their dividends at eight, nine, 10% a year, uh, which means that over seven or eight years, you could be doubling your income. Mike Clarfeld, veteran manager of the Clearbridge Dividend Strategy Fund is on Consuelo Mac WealthTrack. Funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, Strategus Asset Management, and Women Investing in Security and Education. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. Dividends are gaining new respect among investors. Having proven their worth in the income-scarce world of the last decade and a half, they once again came to the rescue in 2022's miserable market. Although dividend-paying stocks did not escape the carnage, they provided considerable protection. Their declines, with dividends included, we're talking total return here, were only slightly worse than investment-grade bonds, 12% versus 11%, a third less than the S&P 500's 19% decline, and a fraction of the nearly 40% loss that the non-dividend payers suffered. There is nothing like a sharply lower market to emphasize the protective effect of dividends. Well, is this the time to step up your exposure to dividend-paying stocks? We are welcoming a new guest to WealthTrack, but one with a longtime connection through his mentor and former co-portfolio manager, Hirsch Cohen, a great investor and one of WealthTrack's most popular guests over the years. Hirsch retired from active management at Clearbridge Investments a few years ago, but is still involved in its dividend strategy. Our guest is Michael Clarfeld, co-portfolio manager of Clearbridge Investments Dividend Strategy and of the Clearbridge Dividend Strategy Fund, which Morningstar just named one of the best dividend funds for 2023. Since Clarfeld came on board in 2009, the fund's nearly 12% annualized returns have outpaced Morningstar's large blend category. It trailed the S&P 500's 13% annualized returns, but did better on a risk-adjusted basis. It actually outperformed the market in nine of the 11 periods where the S&P fell more than 10%. That's one of the reasons it has earned Morningstar's top analyst ratings. Also of interest, according to Morningstar, when compared to its dividend-focused category rivals, its performance has ranked among the best. Its total returns ranked in the top quartile across both trailing five and 10-year periods. Well, Clearbridge is a WealthTrack sponsor, but Clarfeld's record speaks for itself. I started the interview by asking him why a dividend strategy could be particularly valuable now. We think that dividend strategies and, and dividend investing is really core uh, to investing at, at all times. In other words, we believe it's an evergreen style, but we believe it's particularly uh, a good strategy for these markets, given really uh, two or three dynamics. And, and, and the dynamics that investors are facing today are really trying to understand where we are in this inflation and interest rate cycle. Uh, are we at a point where uh, interest rates or inflate and inflation have started to peak and hopefully kind of stabilizing and maybe even coming down in the not so distant future? Or is inflation going to continue to rise, interest rates can continue to rise, and we're in sort of a higher for longer uh, uh, market? And your answer to that question is? Is... We're not sure. And the beauty of dividend investing is that you don't have to be sure uh, because we believe that under either of those scenarios, high quality dividend compounding strategies will do very well. And the reason for that is let's walk through that a little bit. So if, if we're in an environment where inflation is likely to persist and interest rates will continue to be high, unfortunately, that's probably likely to be a, be a pretty choppy market uh, environment for the markets. Right. And in choppy markets, d dividend payers tend to hold up pretty well. 
They tend to do that because their dividend provides some a downside support that investors can look to uh, as markets are, are falling or, or, or are volatile. And so dividend payers tend to outperform in those kind of markets. Additionally, that kind of market probably uh, has, has you know, continued inflation. And we think that dividend growth is one of the best ways to hedge, hedge yourself or protect yourself against inflation because that dividend growth will provide cash flow growth that will protect your purchasing power. On the flip side, if we're lucky enough that, that inflation has peaked and rates are likely to you know, be stable to down from here over time, that likely leads to a bullish scenario for markets over the intermediate future. And in that case, uh, high quality dividend paying stocks are likely to participate. They may not be up as much as the frothiest names or the sort of um, uh, most economically sensitive, most interest rate sensitive names, but they're likely to have very good participation on the upside. So we kind of think that the beauty of dividends in today's market is that no matter what happens, you'll, you'll be relatively happy if you're in a high quality dividend portfolio. But is there a differentiation between, you know, kind of high current yield dividend payers and the kind of companies that you all tend to emphasize, which are dividend growers, which have you know, lower yields, actually. With dividend investing, it's important to look at both aspects of dividends. So sort of what's the current yield, right? Your current income, how attractive is that? Right. Uh, but then also what's the growth profile? And both are critical, but we believe over the longer term, the more critical piece really is, the, is this growth of dividends. Because um, over time, that growth of dividends, that compounding can be very, very powerful. So high quality dividend growers often compound their dividends at eight, nine, 10% a year, uh, which means that over seven or eight years, you could be doubling your income. Uh, we find that, that high dividend yielders tend to be companies that maybe are in a more mature phase of their life cycle, uh, have less growth, and thus are sort of in a position where they're paying out more of their income, but not really growing it. So we think both are important, and we like to sort of look for a balance of both. So at any given time, you've got about uh, you know 50 holdings or so in, in the Clearbridge Dividend Strategy Fund. Uh, and how, how does a company make the cut? And it was re really interesting to me that uh, in, a, in an earlier conversation that you told me that you don't necessarily start by looking at dividend payers per se. The focus of our underwriting process uh, doesn't really start so with the dividend so much as it starts with the business. And if you're a long-term oriented investor and looking to compound returns, it's really critical that you invest in companies that are not only doing well today, but will be doing well a year from now, three years from now, five years from now. So where we spend the bulk of our time in underwriting uh, a new investment is, at, is looking to answer the question, you know, is this a name we can compound in for the long term? So we're evaluating the company's business model or their competitive position, maybe it's their intellectual property or the physical assets they have, and trying to understand what makes this business so good today. In other words, and, and when we're talking about good businesses, we're thinking about businesses with, with healthy revenue growth, healthy profitability, and strong return on invested capital. Why, why does it have those characteristics today? And, and what about the business or the industry or the market it, it operates in uh, gives us a high degree of conviction that those attributes will persist into the future? So it's really, we spend a, a tremendous amount of time there. And once we've gotten comfortable with that, uh, then we drop down into looking at the valuation and the dividend. One of the other things that, that you had told me is that, you know, you don't consider yourselves to be value investors per se. So what we say about ourselves is that we're very valuation sensitive, which means that um, uh, while we're looking for, for companies with healthy growth, we try not to overpay. But that's been particularly relevant and, and important in the last many years where interest rates have been so low and multiples got so high. Uh, and so during that period, it was often challenging because as a valuation discipline investor, there were a lot of things that seemed um, too elevated and, and we couldn't make the math work. But I think as that's unwound over the last 18 months, it's, we, we feel like it's validated our discipline. There have been companies that you've been kind of monitoring 
uh, that kind of fit all of your criteria except valuation? And and if so, um, you know, how have you acted since valuations have come down, certainly in 2022? Absolutely. There's companies that we've had our eye on for a long time uh, that, that, that fell out of favor for whatever reason, and we got opportunities. We found opportunities like that in consumer staples, in real estate, uh, and in utilities. And examples? Two good examples of that, that we've, are stocks that we've uh, acquired in the last uh, couple quarters are uh, Avalon Bay, an apartment company, and Diageo, the spirits company. And Avalon Bay uh, is a high-quality apartment company. They own apartments around the United States. They have a terrific, high-quality, diversified portfolio and a very strong balance sheet. In, in late 2022, the stock sold off precipitously uh, on concerns of both uh, higher interest rates, the impact that has on real estate, and also concerns about uh, apartment uh, rental prices and, and demand dynamics. Well, we took advantage of that sell-off to build a position in a company that we had admired for a long time. And, and, and we looked at it, and what we saw that was, I think was different than what was happening with the stock price was, this is a company that owns a high-quality diversified portfolio, a terrific balance sheet. And when we look at, at the outlook for earnings for the company, we're actually uh, quite positive about it. So in 2022, rental income and rents were up double digits, which is phenomenal and uh, uh, very uh, abnormal, much higher than usual. And, and we come into 2023 knowing and, and, and underwriting that rent growth is going to decline. It's not going to stay at that super high level, uh, but we, it'll continue to be very healthy. Then you look at the apartment market and interest rates, as we all know, have moved up dramatically over the last couple of years. And so you think about people who, who leave apartments, right? Supply and demand for apartments. People live in apartments, they leave to move to houses. Well, it's very hard to buy houses right now, unfortunately, because interest rates are so high. So we think people will end up staying in apartments longer than they otherwise would have. So demand, we think, will continue to be robust, partly from that interest rate dynamic, and then also because employment continues to be very healthy. There are a number of companies that have been in your portfolio for you know for years, Home Depot and Procter and & Gamble and, uh, and several more. So how do you decide to sell a company? From a sale perspective, I think when you own high-quality companies that are demonstrating you know healthy growth, um, you have to be careful not to trim your flowers or not to sell your flowers. And so, and I think this is something that a lot of sort of more experienced or, you know, people have been in the business for a longer time. You realize that, uh, you know, um, when you sell a company that's gone up, you got to buy something else and replace it. And it's often not easy to find a company uh, that's maybe as high quality as the one you're selling. And if a company is growing, even if it gets a little bit ahead of itself, the power of compounding is so, so powerful that, that it'll catch up with itself in, the, in a relatively short period of time, maybe not months or quarters, but in a year or two or three, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, if a company is growing eight, nine, 10% a year, that math is very, very powerful. Now, when do you sell based on valuation? I'm sitting here saying that you, know, you try not to do that too much. I, I think right. is, is a couple of things. Number one would be when the fundamentals change. Uh, so if the business starts deteriorating from an operating perspective, that changes that. The second thing would be, I think, would be when you see a, a major change in, in macroeconomic factors like interest rates. And so we had this ongoing conversation about trimming based on valuation for many years and didn't really do much there, fortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then coming into 2022, we actually trimmed uh, not a huge amount because that's not the kind of investors we are, but, but we actually did a, a material amount of, of selling at the beginning of 2022 because you had high valuations combined with rising interest rates. So for the first time, sort of uh, the backdrop was changing and, and we thought that that might be a reason to maybe sell more for valuation than we have historically. Explain how the rising interest rate environment, I mean, this is a huge change. It's a seismic shift. There's no question about it. How that has is changing your portfolio? 
And so the first part of how higher interest rates uh, impact is, is valuation. Mm -hmm. But sort of beyond valuation, um, and that's a big beyond because there's still a lot of areas of the market where valuations are extended compared to long-term uh, historical averages, uh, rising interest rates leads you to, to look at new areas that weren't as attractive uh, over the last few years. So things like banks, insurance companies, uh, from an interest rate perspective, have become more interesting and more attractive. Because uh, they're more profitable. Right? Because they're more, that's exactly right. Okay. Because, they, because they earn more on their investments. Right. The, fl the flip side of that, though, is of course there's credit concerns from those, which way is an offset. So it's not quite as simple as interest rates are going up by banks and by you know uh, retirement companies or, or life insurance companies, but but for the first time in a very long time, those companies have a tailwind from interest rates instead of a headwind. Let's talk a little bit about you know the the credit concerns of rising interest rates. I mean, we've seen in recent weeks, you know, a couple of banks uh, basically going under uh, and running into some problems. How concerned are you about uh, the impact that rising interest rates are going to be having on credit conditions? From a starting point, we're in a good position from a credit perspective. And what I mean by that is coming out of COVID, um, because of the PPP, because of the tremendous amount of stimulus money that, 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 that the government put into society, uh, people are in pretty good shape, broadly speaking. At the same time, the starting point only has sort of one way to go, and that's getting worse. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going from sort of record credit levels over the last couple of years, and they will deteriorate. Uh, that said, we think the banking system is relatively well positioned to handle all this. The changes that the banking system in the United States has made uh, since the great financial crisis are, are really monumental. And, and banks today have something on the order of four times as much capital supporting their business as they did before. They also often have tougher underwriting and stricter underwriting, taking less risk. So the combination of taking less risk supported with a lot more capital makes us feel very good about the banking system overall. We have had one-offs for sure, and there will continue to be those. But when we think of the bulk of the banking system, particularly the, the large banks where most people have their money, um, the stocks will definitely be volatile around times where there's concerns around credit or banking health, but, but we think that fundamentally they're very healthy. As you think about um, credit more broadly, you're going to see it in, uh, in other areas. In addition to the banking system, you'll see it in, you know, one of the things people are worried about is real estate. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think you'll see it in other areas and it will continue to be, this will play out over several years um, because the financing that most companies uh, have in place, uh, you know, it, it matures over a period of time and then you're maturing off of lower interest rates into higher interest rates. Uh, and so the sort of credit normalization uh, from a refinancing perspective, as well as from sort of just a, a consumer perspective, will take time to play out. In 2020, uh, which was a, a very you know difficult year because of COVID and the shutdown of the economy and everything else, uh, I mean, several companies that had been traditional dividend payers actually cut dividends or stopped paying dividends temporarily. Uh, are, how concerned are you about that possibility? We don't expect a lot of dividend cuts from our portfolio, and, and it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's the type of businesses, these high-quality companies with recurring revenues and strong balance sheets. Uh, it's also, um, with our emphasis on dividend growth, um, the companies we invest in often have payout ratios that are in call at the 40 to 50% range. What that means is that mm -hmm. if they're making a dollar, they're paying out 45 to 50 cents. And, and there's, there's a couple things that are good about that. One is uh, it, it enables these companies to retain some capital to invest for growth, whether that's building new factories, hiring more people, or doing acquisitions. So that's a good thing from a growth perspective. And then from a risk perspective and a, vault and a, and a risk of dividend cut perspective, it's also really good because it means that the companies have, have a lot of cushion before they're in a position of having to cut their dividends. 
one of the things that uh, that you've been doing differently that you you also uh, told me about in an earlier conversation was the fact that you've invested in some energy companies. Can you explain what's going on there? Historically, uh, the majors like Exxon and Chevron have probably been di good dividend payers over right. a long period of time, but not much else. Uh, and what we found is that in the last several years, uh, we've increased our exposure to energy pipelines. So the energy pipelines um, uh, are companies that, that, that make their money moving uh, oil and gas. Um, they're, not, they're not tied to the price of the commodities, so they don't have a lot of risk there, and oftentimes don't even, aren't even tied to the amount of volumes that, that they're shipping. So it's, it's a very utility-like business. Uh, some of these companies got caught up in trouble in 2015, 2016 with MLPs uh, when those when that sector unwound, and that was an opportunity for us to add add some exposure there. So we have a significant, uh, you know, almost eight, probably nine or ten percent of portfolio is in energy, but the bulk of that is in is in two pipeline companies that we own called Williams and Enbridge. Uh, and these companies, uh, what we like about these companies is they're utility like. Uh, both of these have crown jewel energy infrastructure in North America. They pay very handsome dividends. So right now you can get six or seven percent yields on these. Uh, the dividends are well covered and, and and likely to grow in the mid single digits. And and we think that um, what's happened in the last year with uh, the war in Ukraine really underscores the importance of North American energy and energy infrastructure. So we think that um, you know I, I think obviously the energy transition is critical for society and fortunately is increasing in pace. But right. fossil fuels are going to be here for, for many decades still. And the United States is going to play a critical role in providing those fossil fuels. We've also invested in a couple of other companies that, have, that employ a fixed and variable dividend structure. You are, have invested in some companies that do have variable. You know, the, the dividend will change kind of depending on the company's policies as opposed to you know, the dividend growers that you know, every year you can depend upon. So explain how you handle that. Traditionally, variable dividends is something that, invest, that dividend investors haven't liked, right? Right. Uh, the whole thing about dividends is sort of their consistency, and 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 the only the only movement you should see in dividends is going up. Yes. Uh, so so variable dividends historically have been antithetical to dividend investors. That's actually changed in the last couple of years, particularly in commodities. And this all started um, with two sell-offs we've seen in oil and gas in the last uh, about seven years. Mm -hmm. And through that experience, the oil industry in the United States uh, sort of really changed their stripes and their philosophy. Well, independent oil and gas companies in the United States used to be very focused on growth. They were focused on growing their production and ultimately setting themselves up to be sold to a larger, larger company. They were not known for generating free cash flow. And after being burned twice in, in a seven-year period on a, on a pretty large scale, the industry said, this isn't working. We need to change our strategy. And so what they did is they said, we're no longer going to run for growth so much as we're going to run for free cash flow and return that cash to shareholders. And so what we saw, and, and really the leader here has been Pioneer, PXD is the ticker, which is the biggest independent oil company in the country. Pioneer said, we're going to fix our balance sheet. So we're going to go from having, you know, they never had a, a ton of leverage, but they had some leverage and really delever the balance sheet and return all our cash to shareholders. And they said, we're in, a very, we're in a volatile business, right? Oil prices go up and down. So what we're going to do is we're going to cr create a fixed dividend that, at a small level that we feel like we can pay out under any commodity scenario. So even if oil goes down to $50 for a couple years, uh, we should be able to pay that. But when times are good and we make a lot more money, we're going to return that to shareholders too through a variable dividend. And, and many others in the industry and in other industries have begun to model that in, in more cyclical commodity-based businesses. And last year in 2022, Pioneer delivered uh, like 13 or 14 percent dividend return to shareholders. So really, really powerful. Now, again, it's a variable dividend. It's not going to be like that every mm -hmm. year. Oil prices are lower this year, so it'll be down. 
but but it's really a, a really we think a, a good development for for the companies and for dividend investors. It returns most of the cash to shareholders, which is good because these companies haven't been great stewards of capital in the past. But it does so in a way that ensures you'll never have to cut that fixed dividend, even in a down market. So that's not only in the energy industry, or there's some other commodity type businesses that are adopting uh, that model as well. And yeah. is that a place that you know we should be looking, that you're looking, or have invested in already? Commodity exposed businesses is a very is a pretty small part of what we do, given our emphasis on compounding dividends over time. So I'd yep. say we have less than five percent of the portfolio in those types of names. Um, but the two areas where we do would be these energy names. So Pioneer, another one that does that is Chesapeake, a natural gas company. And then within mining, we've seen that. So Freeport uh -huh. McMoran, which is a large copper producer, um, one of the largest, most profitable copper producers in the world, has also employed a similar strategy. Even though they're in a different industry, they kind of have a similar story. Uh, they took on a lot of debt earlier on. They, they destroyed a lot of value for shareholders, actually by trying to get into the oil and gas business. And about five years ago, they got religion and said, we need to focus on copper. We're really good at that. And we need to, we need to fix our balance sheet. So they spent many years delevering their balance sheet. They effectively have no net debt today. And they said, we're going to return a substantial amount of cash to shareholders. We're going to have a small fixed dividend and, and, and combine that with a variable dividend and share buyback to return, I think, over three quarters of the cash uh, to shareholders. So that's a really powerful dividend story. And then the other thing that's really interesting about, about Freeport McMoran and about copper right now is that copper plays a really powerful role in the energy transition. Right. So if we think about the energy transition, right, it's really about electrifying the, the economy as much as we can, moving off fossil fuels into electricity. And obviously copper plays a big role in, in producing and transporting electricity. And you've been kind enough to share with us a dividend compounders list and your mentor and former, you know, co-portfolio manager Hirsch Cohen used to do that on a regular basis as well. And, um, and I, I just want to let our audience know it's going to be available on uh, on our website, wealthtrack.com. Uh, the names on the list that we're t that, that we're talking about: Lindy, the industrial gas company; Comcast, obviously the uh, television and broadband service; Home Depot; J.P. Morgan; Procter and Gamble. Uh, all of these companies highlight the attributes that we're really looking for, which is these very powerful competitive moats and these franchises that are great today. They'll be great five years from now. They'll be great 10 years from now. And they'll continue to, to, to deliver very healthy returns on capital and, and earnings and dividend growth. And even as we sit here today in 2023, with all the uncertainties we see in the world, uh, whether that's geopolitical or economic or you know interest rates or inflation, we believe that our best dividend compounders are well positioned to continue to grow their dividends at high single-digit rates, really for the foreseeable future. At the end of every wealth track, we always ask our our interviewee, you know, if there's one investment that we should all own in a long-term diversified portfolio, what would it be, and what would your recommendation be? I think I'd start by saying that, that I, I love your emphasis on diversification because we believe diversification is critical. I think somebody once famously said that diversification is the only real free lunch in investing that there is. Uh, you don't really lose anything by diversifying. You only gain, and it's a risk reduction measure. So I think at a, at a broader level, you know, we believe that high-quality dividend growers are a terrific uh, investment for inclusion in anybody's portfolio, whether they're young and looking to, uh, you know, for capital appreciation and to grow their wealth, or whether they're older and looking for income. Uh, within that field, uh, one name that stands out to us right now that we own is is Williams Corp. So this is a high quality natural gas com uh, natural gas infrastructure company, and what makes it sort of uh, feel like an easy one to recommend at this point in time is that it combines many of the attributes. Uh, we look for uh, in, in a very attractive fashion. So you have terrific uh, fun underlying assets. They're the largest natural gas 
uh, transmission company in North America, and natural gas is obviously playing a critical role in the economy and in the energy transition. They have a terrific balance sheet, but the beauty of Williams is that you get healthy dividend growth combined with a really attractive upfront yield. So today you can get a stock that yields about 6% with a dividend that's very safe and secure and going to grow nicely over time from a company that's well-run and playing a, a pivotal role in the energy transition. And it's one of your top holdings in the Clearbridge dividend strategy. Yeah, exactly. It's one of All our right. top holdings. Mike Clarfield, thank you so much for joining us on WealthTrack. It's a pleasure to have you on for your, your first visit with us. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and uh, very grateful for the first visit. Would love to have more in the future. So thanks so much, Consuela. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is add some dividend growing stock investments to your portfolio. We now know that dividend paying stocks in general offer downside protection in turbulent markets. Obviously, current income, powerful compounding potential when dividends are reinvested. And if the dividends are growing every year, they also offer a hedge against inflation. Following Hirsch Cohen's wealth track tradition, Mike Clarfield has provided us with a sample dividend compounders list, which will be available on wealthtrack.com. Adding companies with the financial ability and history of growing dividends to a portfolio has proven to be a sound investment strategy over time. Well, next week, how to build a better retirement portfolio with Morningstar's personal finance guru, Christine Benz. It's part one of our two-part interview with her on retirement strategies. In this week's extra feature, Mike Clarfeld shares the most important lessons he has learned working with great investor Hirsch Cohen over the years. If you have time, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you so much for spending your precious time with us. Enjoy your weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.